For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Welcome back to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. And shout out to Travis Barker and Horror for the intro music covering the bad brains. That was a pretty cool thing to wake up to. Be like, oh my god, they're covering the theme of the podcast. Thanks to William Duvall who picked the music. And we have a great episode today. Happy Canada Day to my fellow Canadians. Happy early 4th of July to all the Yankees. And I hope you guys are staying safe this weekend, you know, practicing a little bit of social distancing, hopefully wearing the masks, doing the stuff we're supposed to do because, you know, the numbers are kind of not going down. But hey, we got to do what we got to do in this life, I guess, right? The good news is we have an incredible episode this week. Oh, you can hear fireworks in the background. People are celebrating. You hear that? People are celebrating Canada Day right outside my uh, door here. This is great. But we got a great episode with Jarrett of Bowling for Soup, one of the nicest guys in music. He says it himself, so it's got to be true. But he is such a sweetheart. And you know, Pretty much all the guests that come on the program are sweethearts. Everybody is so forthcoming and honest and talkative, and they're so nice to me, and I made so many friends. But Jarrett is like the top of the peak. He's on the Mount Rushmore of nice guys in music. So this was really, really cool to be able to pick his brain about what a career Bowling for Soup has had. I mean, what a band and some really, really catchy songs that in some ways I don't know if they get enough credit. So this is an awesome episode. Thank you so much for being here once again, maybe on your holiday weekend. 
I got to give a big shout out to a new sponsor of the podcast, Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, and my personal favorite beer of all time. How sick is that? That they're sponsoring the podcast. Also a shout out to Mutual Mobile for jumping on board as well. Those companies help keep this thing going every single week for free. I love them both so much. Also a big shout out to all the members of the All Access Club. You know who you are. I know who you are because we hang out on our Facebook group every single day. It's incredible. Check it out if you want to support the show. Sign up for as little as $6 a month. It gets you in. You get all kinds of perks, bonus episodes, merchandise, all that stuff. Head over to leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. That's all you got to do. Check it out. Also, hey, if you want to get in touch with me, super easy to do that as well. You can email me at leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read all my email. I try to write back to everybody. I know I some things slipped through the cracks. If I haven't got back to you, just email me again, okay? It was probably a busy day. You caught me on and something happened, but I do try to get back to everybody. So, yes, hit me up, email me, or add me to social media at Shane Told or at Lead Singer Syndrome. Just give it a search. You'll find it. It will pop right up. Also, while I have you, my band Silverstein is doing something very cool on July 19th. We are calling it the Next Level Live Stream. We are getting together, the five of us, for the first time since March 11th. That was the last show we played. We're getting in the room, and we decided, let's make this special. So we enlisted Sam Guyana, the producer of our last record, our live record mixer. and He's done all this great stuff for us. And Wyatt Cloth who directed our last few music videos, and he was also behind the Quarantine thing we did. So we enlisted those two guys to put together the best quality production. We're doing this straight into a vintage 1971 Neve console, so it'll sound incredible, and it really is going to be amazing. We're not going to spare any expense to bring people the best possible experience we can to play some songs from the studio, and check it out. Go over to livefrom.events slash Silverstein. I know it's a bit of a clunky URL, so here it is again. Livefrom.events slash Silverstein. July 19th, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, but it's available for 48 hours on demand anyway, so wherever you are in the world, you can watch it at your convenience. Once again, the clunky URL Live from dot events slash Silverstein. Well, let's get into this week's episode and my conversation with Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup. Dude. Hey, dude. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good, you know. Considered. Yeah, right? Like, right? we're, uh, we're going to be fine. 
right? Uh, well, you have a new profession as a school teacher now, right? I mean, that's a thing you got to do, right? A responsibility that you probably never thought. I mean, obviously, like a dad helps their son with their homework once in a while, kind of thing, right? But like to have to be, uh, you know, actually teaching. That's. Uh, I feel like we should leave that to the pros, but I mean, desperate times, desperate measures. I don't disagree. I will say that my <laughs> wife, my wife handles the brunt of it. Right. Uh, but uh, it it takes a village. Yeah. And right. uh, we're working. We're working through it, man. We're getting there. What was the homework? Uh, you said it was kicking your ass. So what's the what's the homework for the seven year old that that is kicking your ass? He essentially had to write like a book today <laughs> and illustrate it and everything. And he has some pretty crazy ADD. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so him, you know, I mean, literally like everything, cha- you know, get, changes his attention to, you know, to where it, it it was aimed for. So, you know, I feel bad for the guy, but it's uh, it's a pretty frustrating thing. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I definitely have always been one to say, you know, hey, let's pay teachers more. But yeah, I feel like that they've got a lot of bargaining chips going back now. I know. I know. Well. Yeah, I'm with you on that one too, but it's true, right? Like it must be confusing for for a kid that's, you know, okay, you go to school and you you know that when you're in a classroom, like that's an environment that you're supposed to be, you know, paying attention, not talking, like, you know, working. But then you're home, right. it's like it must be confusing when it's like, okay, well, I'm still hanging out with my dad or my mom and just now I'm not working anymore. Now I'm like playing video games or something, but I'm still in the same you know, room maybe or whatever. Right. It's. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just it. Like it's, it's one of those things where, and and the, and the distractions here are rampant. Like Mm -hmm. at least in school, all the other kids are doing the same thing, Yeah. but here, you know, like seriously, the dog walks across the room and it's just like, Oh, it's the dog. (laughs) You know, and I've got three of them and then there's a cat and he'll get up and chase the cat up the (laughs) stairs. And like, And then there's a knock at the door and then, you know, we're ordering lunch and then, you know, then his brother comes in from outside and, you know, it's just, it's just a, an insane amount of distractions. And yes, I do feel bad for him. I really do. But, um, you know, well for you, I mean, are those good distractions? I mean, it must be, I mean, you know, obviously you've been in this band bowling for soup for over 25 years, um, been active the entire time. Touring, um, so I mean, it's it's like so funny. Somebody, had, I had a fan question. I'll ask you later, but it's just it's about the sheer volume of things that you are always doing, and yeah. I feel like this quarantine uh, life might not, you know, work so well for you and your personality. Well, you know, um, it didn't at first. I mean, at first, it was very much like. I'm a planner and I like to have a full calendar. It's the reason why whenever I was running late for, for this interview, I, you know, was texting you over and over like, dude, I'm, I, I fucking, I don't want to mess this up. Like I, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm there. Yeah. And, um, you know, so yeah, I mean the first couple of weeks, it was just like this whole unknown thing and not having a time to get up and not really needing to go to bed at any certain time and all that. (laughs) Um, so I really had to just sort of like make a schedule for myself. I started putting online shows on the, on my calendar. Like I do like anytime I'm going to hang out with somebody on Instagram or we're going to do one of our band meetings on Facebook or whatever, I put it on the calendar so that it looks like 
the same as just a normal day. Right. And that has helped immensely. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's definitely helped quite a bit with the anxiety and all of that stuff, but yeah. And then also my, my, um, <clears throat> ongoing gig is I'm the voice of Chuck E. Cheese. And <laughs> yeah, with, I saw that. <laughs> with Chuck E. Cheese being just pretty much selling pizza right now, I mean, they're having to kind of keep the mouse out there and do all this online content. And it's awesome, but it's a whole nother uh, work stream that I'm not used to doing. In other words, like it's just, it's a whole bunch of stuff that I've never had to do before. Right. Um, but that's been another blessing to where it's like, okay, well, I know on Wednesday night, Thursday, I'm going to get, and who knows what it's going to be. It might be two songs that I have to learn, it, you know, but plus like a whole bunch of dialogue that I have to match up to the puppet or, you know, whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely gotten a lot easier as, as we've been going, you know, I think I was like everybody else when this first started and I was like, okay, here we go. I'm not on the road. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get all this stuff done. I'm going to get all this stuff done around the house. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And that just bred this insane, crazy, like anxious feeling inside me. And I had to go. My friend Deanna Smith is a tattoo artist and she just posted this just beautiful post one day that just said, you know, you don't have to lose weight. You don't have to get all the honeydew stuff done. You don't have to get all this work done. Like this is a pandemic like you've never seen. All you have to do is survive. And I was like, right. oh, man, like that is so true. And that really helped me quite a bit. Yeah, no, it's true. And and context for the listeners, today is April 27th, um, you know, because these things yes. change so fast. So that's good. But no, you're right. I think everybody felt like that at the beginning. It was like, it was like, yeah, got to do all these things. And now that it's been, I guess, well, about six weeks, I guess, since this kind of all started, um, it yeah. is like sort of, yeah, I am much lazier now. And maybe that is good. Um, so, so you mentioned this Chuck E. Cheese thing, and I, I had it on my list of questions, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to ask him this or not, but it is really random, uh, for, yeah. you know, for a punk rocker, uh, songwriter, singer-songwriter, family man to be this guy uh, in the suit <laughs> and all these responsibilities that come with it because I think a lot of people probably don't understand exactly what that is. But but yeah. explain how this came to be and how, what you know your responsibility here is as uh, Mr. Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, like many things in my professional life, like certain aspects – give way to others. And so I, all that, all my life wanted to be a stand-up comedian and I instead started bowling for soup and turned my band into almost <laughs> like an improv, improv comedy, uh, journey. When you come see us, you don't really ever know what's going to happen because neither do we. And, right. um, so then I actually started doing, improv comedy here in Dallas. And so when there's a company here called the Richards group that actually got that, that account for Chuck E. Cheese. And it just so happens that Chuck E. Cheese entertainment is here in Dallas, which didn't hurt. didn't hurt me. Um, when the Richards group guys, the, the people that got the account are improv dudes and they had seen me do improv. They obviously knew that I could sing. And so, the whole idea was to turn Chuck E. Cheese into a rock star. So, 
um, man, it was crazy because I, the conversations were like, I got asked through a friend, like, Hey, is this something you'd be interested in? I'm like, yeah. And then I turned it over to my manager. And by the time I'm going in to do what I think is the audition, I was already cutting commercials. Like I left there and I called my manager and I just go, I'm assuming I've had the job cause I just cut like <laughs> six commercials and, um, and, it, and he was just like, okay, well I'll get on the phone. So yeah, man. So, you know, I've been him since he's been little and like carrying the guitar around and stuff like that. He's like the cuter, um, you know, very much a mouse looking instead of, you know, a lot of people called him a rat back in the day. Right. And that right. hurts, that hurts my feelings. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, but you know, so yeah, I do, um, I, for the first several years, I wrote all of the music for the cartoons and things like that. And then they took it to more of like a advertising for more for the parents and stuff like that. So I'm the voice on the commercials. And then I'm the him. When you go into the store, when you see the show, the puppets or the animatronics, what it, or the animation, whichever one they have at that store, that's me talking. And then any of the video games that he's on in the store, uh, that's me, any of the stuff, any of the stuff on the internet, on the YouTube, like, so we're doing these live streams right now. And again, yeah, it's context is, is a thing because I don't think that they'll continue as regularly after this is all over. Sure. Uh, but, but maybe, I mean, they're doing really well, so it might just become another element of my responsibilities, which I'm totally fine with because, you know, the more stuff they use me for the more job security that is. And and right. it's a nice, it's a good gig that I can do, you know, when I'm not on tour and they're awesome too. Like if I'm gone for three weeks, they're just like, okay, well, we'll just have everything ready when you get back. And, cool. Um, wow. Yeah, man. Your kids must think that's cool as hell too, right? I mean, they do. Yeah. I mean, they do ish, but I mean, you know, my kids have had a really funny ride. My, um, my daughter is 17 now and so Phineas and Ferb was the show that I yeah. worked on for nine years. And um, that came out when she was, you know, six, seven years old, I think. Maybe, well, I guess less. So she grew up with her dad being the 1985 Phineas and Ferb guy. And then my son is three years behind that. So he, he's, he's always been the one that's just like, yeah, my dad's famous. And, <laughs> uh, you know, to the, to the guy at racetrack, you know, like the, the dude at the quick trip. And, um, but so my seven-year-old, it's just so much for him. Like he, he, so he just kind of takes it all in stride. Like he'll just tell people, yeah, I mean, what does your dad do? He's Chuck E. Cheese, you know, and there, I mean, like with no <laughs> backup explanation, you know, and then he sings songs for like thousands of people and he's on Phineas and Ferb and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so he, though he does think it's cool, it's really sweet because he's still like, if I take him to. Chuck E. Cheese, he still gets out there and does the dances and stuff with them and like gets excited to see the suit guy and all that. Right, right. So there's still, he did it with, with the job. He didn't really lose the magic, which is, you know, which is nice because, you know, that's what, that's what that restaurant is all about. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought of a random story. My sister, um, my sister's a little bit religious. I'm not religious at all, but she she has three kids, and I guess one time she was, you know, putting them to bed, and she was teaching them about, like, I guess, you know, saying uh, prayers or whatever, right? So they're, like, sure. really, really, really young. She asked them, what are they thankful for? So, you know, they say whatever they're thankful for, whether it's their video games or, or their skateboards or whatever. And then, you know, she asks, they ask my sister, oh, what are you thankful for? And, and she goes, well, I'm, 
I'm thankful for my, for my sons. And then she's, they say, um, Mom, did, uh, did God ever have a son? And my sister goes, yes, actually. Um, his name was, was Jesus. And the kid goes, Chucky Jesus? Oh. <laughs> that, was, that was where his brain went. <laughs> Ch- Chucky Jesus. Um, Dude, I cannot <laughs> wait to tell the people at Chucky e. Cheese that story, man. That is so good. That's amazing. No, I like that. We need a little nativity scene, you know, with just little little Chucky Jesus. <laughs> right? I know. It's it's incredible, man. Wow. Well, yeah, you're you're a busy, busy dude. Um well congrats congrats on twenty five years with bowling for soup, by the way. That's dude, thank you. an awesome thank milestone you. not a lot of bands get to, especially you know, um like you've had a lot of big hits. And a yeah. lot of times I feel like the big hits that bands have Sometimes that lower, like that, lessens their shelf life as an artist, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It, which is a weird thing. People don't people don't always think about it like that. But you've managed to maintain a great fan base for a very long time, um, which is yeah. hard. Which can be hard for bands that that you know. I don't want to call you guys a one hit wonder because you have several hits, but you know what I mean when you when you hit that that pinnacle with the song and then a lot of times it's like well the next album sold a little less and didn't have any hits and then the next one even less but your fans have always stuck with you um yeah man you know i think one of the things that's amazing about that is just our um i guess you know just just the way that our chart was uh charted i guess i mean you know our our course yes i guess so to speak because You know, we started in 94. We did four albums on our own, and then we signed to Jive in 1999. uh, And our first major label album didn't do very well at all. And then our second one did – that had Girl the Bad Guys Want, which was nominated for a Grammy. So that one did a little bit better. And then by the time 1985 and Almost and Ohio and those songs all started hitting, um, you know, that was 2005, 2006. So we'd been around 11 years. So we, we were, we, we had gone, I guess, far enough along to where we had already developed right. this loyalty. Um, and then, you know, as you said, the, the, the curve kind of starts to go downward with the next record, getting us into 2008, 2009 and high school never ends. Isn't as big of a hit as 1985, but it still does. Okay. Yeah. And then we get dropped and now we're still doing records on our own, but you know, we um, we were also very lucky, you know, and, and I'm certain that you guys reap the benefits of this as well, in that the genre just exploded around the time where we were really solid kicking ass. Yeah. And so it's just nice for, you know, for us, we don't run away from the pop punk label at all. Like, we're just like, okay, we're a pop punk band. That's great. And you know, it just means popular punk. And we're like, yeah, I guess we're one of those bands. Cause we, you know, we, <laughs> are, we had a popular song or whatever. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I just feel like pop punk and then all of those little arms that go out of that into, you know, the other realms of, of this kind of thing. Uh, it's going to just be like eighties metal, like nineties hip hop, like nineties, uh, you know, grunge or whatever. Like, it's just always going to be a thing. And so I feel like with some 41 and newfound glory and simple plan and uh, green day, I no hate the label, but obviously they're the, they're our sure. forefathers. Yes. You know, they are. 
And then even the like the guys from before that that in, that influenced all of us, which Descendants and Screech and Weasel and like all of those guys are still out doing it. Yeah, you know, it just basically has really kept a really great focused fan base there that you can just keep going to and going, hey, all right, we're gonna do this now, and it's and so you know, true. it's so yeah. true what the, what you say about pop punk, and and it is it like. I feel like there's always someone coming, you know, like there yeah. was yeah. like, there, sure, there was Green Day. And then a few years later, there was Newfound Glory, which was doing a kind of like an uh, update. And then there was Fall Out Boy. Like just when you thought yeah. no one cared about pop punk, then, you know, Fall Out Boy came out. And there's yep. always been these uh, bands that have that have, you know, ha- have kind of kept the trend going. But then there's you guys that are always just underneath all of this right like and and look at look at just but just to your point but that's just the thing is it's never ending look at all-time low who are like sure been around for a while and like have a hit on the radio like right now yeah in 2020 it's like that's what i'm saying and you're exactly right somebody always comes to just go all right guys i'm gonna take this flag and i'm gonna take off running you guys, all you old fuckers, y'all just try and keep up, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's great. Um, you, you bring up your song, 1985. It's, you know, it's I'd say it's your biggest hit. Uh, and yeah, for sure. It's got to be, maybe you're sick of talking about this, but it's got to be one of the strangest stories of a song becoming a hit. Uh, the fact that it was released by another band... Yeah. The same year as it was released by you guys, um, for people that don't know that, it was SR71, who some people mm-hmm. forget, I remember. You know, sure. they had a pretty big success for a few years, back in probably around 2001. And Well, they had that song right now that right. has that, which is one of the coolest riffs ever. Yeah, you know? I mean, and, they're uh, great. Ba- I always thought that that band should have been bigger. Um, yeah. And then, but it's just, it's such a strange story because... You know, all the time you have bands writing songs for other bands, or hey, here I wrote this song. I think it'd be good for you guys. You, you know, use it, whatever. Oh, cool. Yeah. But this, the fact that it was already released, yeah. And then you recorded it again is so strange. Like, talk, talk, talk to me about how yeah. that happened. I'm sure you've talked about it a million times, but yeah, no, I, I love. I actually really like like the story. I think it's great, and it's not something that you know. I think <laughs> it's so funny, you know, and and how. Uh, kids can be so extremely uh, ignorant, but I don't mean it in like the worst form of that word in that like I'm name calling people who discover it, but like people tend to sort of dig it up and then think that they've caught us or something or that like we're not, we're not the band that they thought we were or whatever. Now let's, as you said, I mean, people write songs for bands all the time. I think most people don't really realize that the majority of the songwriters that they think write their own stuff, they get a little help, you know? Yeah. And quite frankly, um, you know, I, I love that thing. I like, I, I actually, I'm, I'm going to go back to the answers, but I wanted to go back on my thing about the, how pop punk I think yeah. could be like the new old country where, in old, like old country songs, you'd have six people do a song and all of them would have hits. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, music is music. This is how I'm going to present this song. Here we go. So, uh, but yeah, so the, the wacky thing is, is it was released the same year 
However, they released it in Japan. And this is before uh-huh. this is before digital, you know, was a thing. Like this is in the age of well, we recorded in 2004. So this is the in the right in the height of Napster, LimeWire, all of that. Yeah. So really the idea was in a perfect world, you know, they come to me, they bring me this song and I'm like, okay, you know, yo, you haven't released it. No, no, no. We've just released it in Japan. It was just as much of them. They might as well have said they hadn't released it yet at right, that point you right. know, in, in that year. And uh, so, yeah, the way that it actually went down was um, Mitch, the, from the, from the band SR 71, they had kept their record deal in Japan. Obviously they released this record. And they were shopping for both management and a label over here uh, in the States. And he sent it over to Jonathan Daniel, who owns Crush Management and everything else now. He's the greatest dude ever. And he was Butch Walker's manager. We happened to be recording in Butch Walker's studio at the time. And Butch Walker had worked on Right Now with Mitch. And so uh, JD heard it and he was just like – Man, I'm going to be honest with you. This doesn't sound like an SR-71 song. It sounds like a Bowling for Soup song. <laughs> <laughs> and Mitch is like, well, do you think they'd be interested in it? He goes, well, they're at Butch's studio right now. We can get them on the phone. And so I get this call, and they send over the song. <laughs> and to be honest with you, man, and this is just like me completely showing my cards, Shane, I can't hear a hit. I'd never know. Like, I went, even right. when we did Girl of the Bad Guys Want, like, like – almost I, I knew like right when that one was written, I was like, okay, that one's like, that's the only one I've ever thought and got it right. And so I hear this song and I'm like, okay, it's fine. But like their lyrics are really, really pointed and, and, uh, and pretty graphic, you know, yes. for, for us, like I say dirty words, but I say it in such a way that it's, there's an innocence behind the way that I deliver my stuff with them. They're more of a rock band. So when they say the rubber broke, it's like, Ooh, you know, that, oh, right. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how that makes me feel, you know? <laughs> and, um, so basically we, we drank a bunch that day. We got home, got back to our apartment that we had, uh, in Atlanta where we were doing the record and I played it for my drummer and, and he just goes, man, it's a pretty damn good song. And I go, yeah, man, it's pretty fucking great. And by this point, our A&R guy had heard it and really liked it. And so um, he um, – hold on one second. Sure. You got a Stripe? Yes. What? Virtual Stripe. Yes. Okay. You get two? Yes. <laughs> Good job, dude. Two prizes. Two prizes. All right. Well, let me finish this call and we'll work on that, okay? Okay. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you can totally leave that in, by There's, the way. If you'd I like. will. There's an appearance from a little dude. What's his name? <laughs> is, that was Everett. So he Everett. is taking karate over online. Oh, and yeah. so he got you in order to be able to test for the next belt, you have to get four stripes red, white, blue, and black. And he got two in one day today. So big oh, deal. Cool. Cool. Karate so, online. Uh, now, now I've heard everything. <laughs> Dude, he's right. taking his piano lessons online, his school online. Great. I mean, it's like some Great. of these parents are going to be like, we don't ever have to leave the house. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, anyway, I called Mitch the next day. I'm like, dude, okay, I'm in, but I want to have my way with the song. And he goes, go for it. You know, we didn't make any deal about the um, how the writing was going to go or anything like that, which in hindsight could have been a fucking nightmare right. because, you know – 
he could have been a dick about it. I could have been a dick about it. You know, uh, fortunately we're friends and that all worked itself out fine. So I was able to make the lyrics sound more like a Bowling for Soup song. I wrote, I rewrote the bridge. We put the, the, the guitar hook in there. Yeah. The intro is the biggest thing. That's, that's like, that to me is like, that grabs you right away. You know, that's comparing. Yeah. That's, that's sort of like the hook, you know, that, that it really needed, you know? And so, and but what we, what we did was we kept their intro because theirs was woo hoo hoo, and we kept that. And so it right. was just essentially, and you know what? That I mean, you know, that's it is what it is. Um, but it took it to the to a, a level. And again, I think Jonathan Daniel was right. Bowling for Soup was the band to sell that song because we were already the dudes that talked about you know, all of this, um, culture and, um, you know, just, you know, actors and musicians and stuff in all of our songs already anyway. Um, so yeah, man, it, uh, you know, we went and the, and the next thing I think too, that really helps that song. It's funny. I just talked about this yesterday on another thing and I hadn't talked about it in a while because it's been a while since it was a thing, but good. videos were on television. And so VH1 saw that video of us acting like, you know, uh, Robert uh, Palmer and Motley Crue yeah, and yeah. you know and Run DMC and they just ate it up because that was their demographic and so that thing was just on all the time and radio stations loved it and uh, but yeah that's the story you know and uh, yeah. just a lot of things fell into place and you still do, just huge I mean when we wonder, play that thing live yeah oh I know I, I, I you do wonder though if you know, in the alternate universe, you know, you're not working with Butch Walker or that, you know, that song doesn't get sent to, you know, the dude at Crush or whatever. And that ends up being an SR-71 song somehow. Does yeah. it work? Does it translate? Do, is, are we, am I talking to the guy from SR-71 now? Is he not a massive producer, you know, all the stuff that he's, Mitch Allen has done? You know, like, it's, it's kind of funny how that one song, yeah. obviously it changed your life. I think you'd be lying it, if you said it didn't, and well, um, yeah, and it probably changed his life too in a different way. In that it, he's you know. the he's actually the first one to tell you he yeah. he's the first one to say Bowling for Soup gave me my career, and I'm like, I mean, it, to me, everything fell into where where it should have been. Now, do, would you still be sitting here talking to me? I don't think so. <laughs> would my band have still done okay? I mean, we yes. still had almost an yeah. Ohio on that record. Oh, yeah. I think we would have done okay. Would we have gotten to the level, uh, you know, of, of hugeness on that particular record? There, no. And you know, would he be, you know, where he is? I, it's hard to say yes or no, but it definitely would have been a tougher path. Yeah. You know, because again, you know, we were both these pop punk dudes who were the same age and, and sing the same. And, you know, these, these two courses needed to be what they are or else it's like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the SR 71 guy or I'm the Bowling for Soup guy and nobody gives a shit, you know, (laughs) now I'm the Bowling for Soup guy, the 1985 guy. And he's the dude that like, Oh, I, I wrote the original 1985 or whatever, you know? So, um, of course now, as you said, you know him, like he's dude, that dude writes like crazy Demi Lovato songs and, and yeah. Daughtry and all this crazy shit now he's, and he's doing great and he's still a lovely individual too. So, awesome. um, you know, awesome. I am glad that the pieces fell where they did. Yes. Well, um, you guys do a lot of cover songs and a yeah. lot of bands kind of of your stature that have released so many albums and had such a long career, a quarter century of a career. Um, yeah. 
you have no real qualms about doing it. Um, no. In fact, I loved your cover of Social Distortion you just released like the other day. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. That's awesome. One of my favorite records. I was a bit surprised, but that you do a song like that, uh, but then you also do like an Eagle song, uh, yeah. and then all the you know all the different covers. What like what's the process when you do you just does it just pop in your head and go oh it's a good song I'll, we'll do it who cares or is there some <laughs> is there more thinking to it than that? It used to be it used to be like I'd be like okay we're gonna do this and now it's become a fun thing where. We're doing them one right after another. We've been doing them since July last year. Yeah. And we literally all just get to pick one. Now, we can veto one if it's just dumb. <laughs> you know, if somebody picks one and we're like, no, we're not going to do that. But What's gotten vetoed? But, can, you t- can you tell me one? That, that- um, Let's see. What have we vetoed? Well, we vetoed um, a couple of Descendants songs because we were just like I, – I, I, was, I was like – I didn't really know that I wanted – do that <laughs> like <laughs> right now like i was just like let's get it going first and then let's you know let then we'll sort of take a chance and fuck with the godfathers of all of this you know <laughs> like i, I mean cuz i feel like we were sort of taking a chance with with social d and and it and it's been awesome but man we've got some really crazy ones coming out but cool quite frankly um you know it's i feel like it's one of my smarter business moves in a long time. And I feel like I'm kind of one of the first people to figure it out. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but it's like music is all about streams. Now radio is pretty much non-existent. It only exists for, you know, the top 0.01%. Yeah. Streaming is it. And my band streams great. And most of our genre does. And so here's the thing about, about covers Used to when you did a cover, you would put that cover on your album and then you had all this accounting to do right. to go and pay all of those mechanical right. royalties and things like that. Right, because because you'd sell a record for let's just say ten bucks and if yeah. there's ten songs on it, well then you're only getting ninety percent of your publishing, right? A that's, lot that's a lot right. of people don't understand that. That's why I'm I know you understand that, but I'm yes. just explaining it to the people. But when you're of talking course. about a single released on its own, it's yeah. it's a lot different. Well, it's a lot different if you don't sell it. So what what the streaming has done for us, what YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, um, yep. uh, or or I mean, you know, uh, uh, shit, Amazon, they do all the accounting. You don't have to do anything. So you could literally put put out any song you want, and that writer still gets his 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 money, and you still get the performance money paid to you or whatever through. Yep. There's a company called Sound Exchange yep. that basically pays you for all of these performances, whether you own it or not. You got on there and performed it, you get that money. And so, and then some of your Spotify comes goes to there and all of that. So anyway, I I was just like, man, there is no restrictions anymore to covers. Like and and the other thing about it is, is it usually the artist is freaking stoked because the original artist is getting getting paid as much as you are. And so it's pretty easy to get them to cross promote. And, um, so yeah, I mean, that was my thing was, I was just like, you know, we're at, I can't, I think we're at 4.2 million a month right now streams on just Spotify. And I was like, I want to have it to 8 million by the end of 2020. We're not going to make it, but we're going (laughs) to, you know, we're we're going to get, Um, we're going to grow. You guys never recorded Stacy's mom. Did you? 
Oh yeah, that's a great story, by the way. Well, I mean, I love the story. I, I've seen you guys before, like you know, on Warp Tour and stuff, lots of times, and I think it's hilarious that you play that yeah. song because everyone thinks it's you guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and obviously, rest in peace to Adam, uh, who yes. you know, that's the fucking saddest story ever. But I hate um, it. Uh, but that song is amazing, and it does have a vibe like you guys. So it it's interesting. Uh, tell me, tell me that story. Yeah. So. Um... It was actually kind of this weird, sort of organic, odd thing. People just started showing up to our shows, and especially when we would do, like, citywide things or fairs or things like that. You would just have all these people with Stacy's mom shirts on. And then, <laughs> like, grown grown women would come up and just be like, I am Stacy's mom. And, you know, and it was just like, oh, okay, cool. And... So for the longest time, we just couldn't put our finger on it. And then it was just a thing where I would make it into a bit, but we wouldn't play it. And right. then um, and then one Christmas, um, I was just like, you know what? iTunes is doing really good. Why don't we just take our, our part of the money? <laughs> because it was like, if you search Stacy's mom, the second thing that came up was Bowling for Soup. <laughs> And so um, being friends with Adam, I was like, hey, dude, we're going to do this. He's like, great, do it. <laughs> and so we did it. I sent it to him. He goes <laughs> – his response was the best thing I've ever heard. He just goes, it's so nice to hear one of our songs with the vocals all in tune. <laughs> 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 and um, so, yeah, man, we just took full advantage of the thing. And, and again, just as a bit. And so right. – we still do that bit from time to time where we're just like, who here is here to hear us play our huge hit Stacy's mom? And it is crazy. Like 90% of the audience fall for it every time. <laughs> and then we're just like, that is not our song. I, I swear to God, I'm on cameo. And I just did this cameo today for a woman who was just like, Oh, my theme song, Stacy's mom, because my son, my son's best friend called me a milf. So please wish him an 18th birthday. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't really know if I'm supposed to say anything about the song or not. You know, like, well, I so, guess, I mean, I guess recording it makes it that only perpetual, like perpetuates it more. Right. Cause right. It'll so then it's, it's like, um, you know, well, yeah. Cause now we'll be like, that's not our song. And now people will be like, you recorded it. It's okay. Well, <laughs> Then I guess it is. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, the list of the list goes on and on of things that you've done. Um, you know, er, uh, the Chuck E. Cheese thing we talked about. Um, I had your Wikipedia pulled up here for a second just to look at all the list. Just is crazy. Um, I don't know if you've been to your own Wikipedia lately, but it's just you know everything from Sonic Unleashed to uh, crappy records to. Uh, um, <laughs> Producing Darlington singles, people on vacation, uh, you know, but probably the the most notable of all of these is your podcast, yeah. uh, Jarrett Goes to the Movies, which has been very successful, long, you know, going on for a long time, and I've really enjoyed it. So tell me about that and getting into the podcasting world and, um, you know, that must be fairly time consuming too, having to watch an entire movie uh, every yeah. time you do an episode. Man, it's so funny because it's like it, – it's something that I really never thought about. I, I, I should have not I, – I should have thought to do it a long time ago, but I just didn't. And yeah. 
you know, I did my first podcast in like 2009 and it was like before the thing, thing, the thing really took off, like yeah. the whole podcast thing. Had I kept doing it, like, I feel like I, somebody gave me like Apple stock and I sold it at $20, you know, right. like, cause I just didn't pay attention to my, I had 10,000 subscribers already in like 2012. And like, what was the, was this, what was your podcast back then? It was just this dumb bowling pursuit podcast where I would get on there and just talk and I'd talk about what we're up to and I might have right. a guest and I might play a song and it just, you know, <laughs> it was a, it was a very large percentage of the world that but not a lot of content out there yeah you know? yeah and so fast forward to um you know five years ago or so and i met this it was actually my father-in-law's best friend was like dude he's like a big podcast guy and he's like you need a podcast and i'm like i have a podcast he goes yeah i've listened to it you've done like 20 over 10 years you know so like right you need like a regular thing, but you need a theme. And man, I would have never even known how to go about it. And so he, my original co-host, you know, helped me come up with the idea, do it on movies, you know, and you know, here's the format. And obviously that's changed a lot over the last four years, but yeah, yeah, we're almost 220 episodes in been going like four years. We've had some changes in the cast, but you talk about the time. It is time consuming. The, the I'm lucky First of all, my wife is on the show, and so that's a date night. You know, right, we can right. sit there and watch that movie. You know, sometimes, uh, granted, if somebody else on the cast or the 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 uh, supporters pick the movie, sometimes we're less happy to be watching it. But you know, it's still time together. And um, you know, through Patreon, I've managed to get some support for the show, so I can pay yeah. my new co-host, and I can pay my. Um, my producer who does all the editing and stuff now or whatever. So I don't take any money from it, but I, it's great exposure and it's a lot of fun and very, very interactive with people. And that's, that's, you know, as you look through what I do, I just, I really do. I, and as cheesy as this sounds, I love making people laugh, making people <laughs> smile. It is, it's the re I know it's the reason I was put on this earth as cheesy as that sounds. Uh, I love that. I, and I just know that that's it. And so, you know, being able to do that and, and, um, you know, we do it on our Facebook live page. So, and it's very interactive and that one is, is a lot of fun. And, and again, it, it sort of, it not sort of, but, you know, got me into that world. And now I'm almost two years into my other podcast, podcast, which is rockstar dad, right. where, me and Gary from Bowling for Soup just talk to other dads in the music business or the, the film business or just people down the street, you know, who are great dads. And most of the time it's about kids and being a parent, but they're funny stories most. And, you know, so anybody will enjoy it. It's great. Um, but we've had some some really insane guests on. And, uh, and, and, and that's just it. It's like when I do interviews, very seldom are people asking about my, my kids. They want to talk about, you know, what Bowling for Soup's doing and all that. Sure. So well, some people don't it, Some people don't bring up people's kids, too, because it's, like, private, you know, and some people exactly. are weird about talking about it. So, you know. Yeah, and that's just it. So it, it's nice because you get them on a show where they know that's what they're going to talk about. And, right. and just everybody lights up like, oh, man, I love, I love to talk about myself and my kids. Right. So, sure. Um, we just had Joe Sib on last week from yeah. Side One Dummy Records, and um, man, you know he's a stand-up comedian now. It's such a good dude, and um, 
you know, creators of Phineas and Ferb and Kevin Lyman and Butch Walker and the yeah. list goes on. So, Great. so yeah, man, those are, it is time consuming. We do both of those weekly. Um, but you know, as I said, and as you, as you said at the first interview, I, I definitely enjoy being busy. Yeah. How, um, how do you pick the movies? So the movies are picked by either, uh, me or, you know, sometimes again, we'll, uh, my wife will get to pick one or my co-host, uh, uh, my co-host, uh, grew up very, very religious. And so he sort of lived in a bubble most of his life. <laughs> so he hasn't seen most movies. And so we do a lot of things where we pick movies that he hasn't seen that are right. classic to see his um, reaction. Or, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, it, and that's a fun thing. And then also, um, each, each month there is a voting that happens and the Patreon supporters get to pick one of the movies each month. And, um, you know, and then, and then a lot of times it could just depend on like, you know, we'll just think of one like, man, we haven't done saving Silverman. How have we not done that? And then, right. you know, that we get into that. So, cool. um, cool. I love it. Well, everyone should check it out. Jared goes to the movies. Yes, please. That's the, that's the name of the, of the show. That's, that's great, man. Um, so before I let you go, I really do appreciate you taking the time. I know you're, you're busy with your your family and everything else you got going on. I do appreciate it. Um, I want to bring up just this this article that I read that you did for Kerrang. Kind of t- a serious side of Jarrett Reddick, and you know, yeah. I thought that that was an interesting thing for you to put out there. And you know, I know back in kind of 2013, 2014, you discussed maybe the end of bowling for soup, um, and it seems like there was a lot going on in your life then, but. You yeah. know, you've gotten through that. It seems like yeah. you're doing better now than ever. And I just think mm. that it's important to bring that up for people listening to this, especially going through this time where there's yeah. a lot of darkness, a lot of mental health issues, I'm sure, uh, with yes. people listening to this. So I just wanted to kind of, you know, you don't have to go into great depth about it, but I wanted to bring it up, you know. Yeah. I thought it was no, important to. First of all, I appreciate it because you're exactly right. I mean, and in our industry and for those who, um, you know, our, our whole, uh, you know, whole universe, it is an epidemic. And so, you know, I'll give you a brief sort of rundown of my journey and and so that it doesn't take too long, but, Mm -hmm. you know, as you said, 2013, uh, I was going through a divorce and, um, it was, not a good time. And part of the problem in my, my marriage was the fact that I had just, and I admitted I committed way too much time to my career. And so in, in that whole scrounging around trying to save my family, I did what a lot of people do and just almost just self-destructed and, and, and just gave everything away and, and all of that. I was very lucky that my friends stood by me in that. And, but the, the bad news is, is coming out of that, I had never felt anxiety before. Um, and so all of this change and all of this turmoil, uh, not only triggered my first panic attacks and my first bouts with anxiety, but also what I would learn over the course of a few years was some pretty brutal depression. And, um, the, the thing that I did wrong at first was keep it all inside. And then I started making some better choices and I went to therapy. I went to therapy because of just shit that I had done and, you know, things that had, you know, in my parents and things like that in my life. And, and in turn, 
started learning a lot about what was going on and why I couldn't be productive and why I woke up and got my kids to school and then was just in the fetal position until they got home. And I couldn't understand, you know, I, I thought, what the hell is happening to me? Am I just lazy now? Like, and I started to gain a lot of weight and I just was a mess. And, um, you know, I, I've never done drugs or anything like that. So medication wasn't something that I really was in, I was excited to do, but I, I was honest with my doctor. I was honest with my shrink. I was honest with my now wife. Um, and I managed to get the right kind of counseling. I mean, it took two years for me to figure out what the medication was that I needed. Um, because I just were, I wasn't reacting quite the same way as everybody else to different things. So basically that leads us to here where I am doing a lot better. I'm in such a great headspace. Um, as I said earlier, this, this COVID thing triggered some pretty crazy anxiety for me early on, but yep. I've managed to work through it. Um, so I just think it's important. And so, so let me just say this, this one thing, yeah. you know, the last thing that I wanted was to have a cause. I didn't really want to be the poster boy for, um, for depression and anxiety. I was really scared because, I'm in the fart joke band. You know, I'm the dude that says funny things about breaking up with girls or girls breaking up with me and makes your day better. And so I was really worried when all of that stuff started to come out and when I, when I really did start to open up about it. And what I found was, is that I'm actually exactly who people want to hear it from because I do appear anytime I want to be just fine. I I can turn it on like a switch and it's, you know, sometimes I'll admit, Sometimes if you meet me on the street, I am not in a good space. You will never know because I can play this character so well. Yeah. And, you know, and so you will never meet some dude, somebody that says, I met Jared Reddick and he's an asshole. That will literally never happen. And if it does, then the person didn't meet me. <laughs> um, but, you know, and so I, you know, so it is a cause and it's something that I feel very passionate about. Um, it's something that I, I really want people to know. First of all, you're never alone ever. Like there are people, there are people out there that care. Second, the planet is so much better with everybody listening to this in it. And, you know, and there just, there is help. And then the other thing is, you know, there's small things that you can do, but mainly you just got to talk to somebody, you know, whether it's, you know, you can get on the Bowling for Soup fan page, and I, it, this is not a plug. This is full on, like I'm, I mean this. There are people there that literally will just pick up the phone and just listen to you, and and they they're there to help each other. So they've started their own mental support group. They're not doctors or anything like that. They just listen. Yeah. And man, it feels good to get it off your chest sometimes. You know, well, just about like I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And um, well, that's great. Know, the, I'm really happy that you were able to use that outlet. I mean, you got to. Th- figure like 25 years of you know dick and fart jokes um yeah you know there's some seriousness in there somewhere yeah. i know you've done some solo yeah. like acoustic stuff is there is there anything that you've written kind of outside the box that you'd ever release that's maybe like you know a little different yeah i mean i i we have ballads and we yeah, have songs yeah. that are pretty emotionally crazy and stuff like that and you know i um yeah, I mean, I I think that there's there are there are places for that in our music, and that's something that I found sort of at that time when we released Lunch Drunk Love, which is more of just a, I mean, it's a pretty angry record. Like our 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 uh, manager was like, 
you know, I don't get this. Where are the fart jokes? And I go, I don't feel like telling fart jokes right now. And I have a feeling that my fans, some of them might not want to hear fart jokes right now. And I was right. And critically, the album was fucking huge. And people loved, I mean, like, I I did not read one bad review of that record. And that was happening all during that time. Yeah. And so it just goes to show that, like, if you if you really mean it and you put it out there, you know, that it's, it's hard for, for them to shoot you down. And, you know, so, so I'm comfortable talking about it now. And I, you know, I, um, you know, I can look back on that time and be like, you know, I'm glad I went through that because it's, it's, if it's not every day, it's every other day. I get a message through one of the mediums that it's like, dude, thank you so very much. Like you helped me. And I went and I sought help or I talked to my doctor or I, got my friend to go to counseling or whatever it is. And man, I mean, to me, that means more than, you know, a couple of gold records. Awesome, man. I loved, I love to hear that. And congrats on all the success. I know you sold out Brixton Academy a few months ago. Um, yes. You know, that's a huge feat and you know, the UK has had your back for so long, but it's just great to see, you know, everything working out so well for you. And I hope when we get through this, you know, it just, the path continues and, you know, it's, uh, it seems like you're in a really good good place moving forward, man. So thank you. Man, I, I appreciate that. I'm so glad we finally got to meet at least through the phone. And yeah. I look forward to uh, to getting to hang sometime no, when actually, this is all over. I actually met you like 15 years ago. You were a total dick to me. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that's true. <laughs> oh, dude, that's great. Anything else to tell the people before I let you go? Man, find me anywhere. J-A-R-E-T-2113. And, um, I mean, honestly, you just find that and that's where we're at. And, uh, you know, that's, that's about it. All right. Well, dude, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this and, uh, talk soon, man. Thanks buddy. Talk to you later. So there it is with Jarrett from Bowling for Soup. I want to thank him so much just for being the nicest guy and also taking the time to speak with me out of his pretty busy schedule, you know, just because, We can't tour doesn't mean there isn't stuff going on, especially with him and dad life and everything else going on. I want to say thank you so much to you. That's right, you right there personally for tuning in this week or every other week that you listen to this. And make sure that you're subscribed because we've got some great episodes coming up. We've got some legends, like actual legends coming up in the coming weeks. So hit the subscribe button and make sure that you check out the All Access Club if you want to help out and go get a Miller High Life. I think I'm going to go get one myself as I listen to this tune, which I will leave you with. Here it is. 1985 from Bowling for Soup. Peace and love. We'll see you next week.
And bring back... Spring. 